to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be there um, briefly. Um, as we have talked about today is, if you want to give a title um, in the evangelical world, officially talked about as Sanctity of Life Sunday. Um, you can uh, get online and you can read um, lots of articles and get online and hear lots of wonderful sermons to that will argue for um, the need for us as the people of God to be um, actively involved in the issue of abortion in this country and around the world. Um, and you can get online and I would encourage you to do so and read very detailed and intricate, both logical and scriptural and moral and ethical arguments for um, why that's important. I'm going to briefly talk about that this morning, um, but there's a lot of other people who have said that a lot more profoundly than I could. What I really want to do this morning is to challenge us to think and answer the question, so what? What does it matter if life really does begin at conception? Um, What difference does it make um, with me in Cherokee County in 2015? If one in five, maybe one in six, depending upon uh, what statistics and whose website you look at, births end in abortion in the United States, what difference does that make? If between 16 and 20 percent of of every pregnancy um, in this country ends in an abortion, does that, should that affect me, does it affect me, what difference does it make? Um, And so I want to begin just briefly talking about, because we've sung about the fact that because of what God has done for us, um, when we say we're made in the image of God, that's more than just uh, the fact that we show up and are part of creation. We really are different than the rest of creation. Uh, for nobody else does, does God say that man is made in his image. In fact, in Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man alone, not the animals, no matter how smart you think your dog is or how compassionate or what emotions you think he where she feels man alone is made in God's image. And what's interesting, we read just a couple of chapters later in chapter 5 that man passes on that image to his offspring. And what's interesting is that that passing on of that image happens at conception. It doesn't happen in what the early church talked about as the, the formation of a person. That image is not passed on when all of a sudden we can distinguish Uh, an arm from a leg or a head from a torso, right? Once conception happens, man's role and responsibility in forming that child really takes a back seat. Oh, the mother can do things, proper nourishment. But that image is is passed on from parent to child at conception. And so, logically, humanity begins at conception. If you want to argue about the word person, I'd rather take that argument to humanity. Humankind, mankind, 
when Genesis talks about man is made in God's image, the word Adam, which means mankind, male and female, God's image begins for us who believe this to be true at, at conception. Science is, is catching up with that idea, certainly. Um, we know that, that at conception the full package of DNA exists. It is a human being. Humanity is, is present. But even in other things through more sophisticated technology, um, earlier and earlier and earlier we begin to recognize though that not in a technical sense, but we go, oh, that's a, that's a person. From anything from uh, when they begin to feel pain and heartbeat and formation of organs, all of those things earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier. The law is catching up with Scripture as, as well. Um, in 38 states, there are um, fetal homicide laws that if you... Um, or in an accident and, and you kill a, what we call a fetus, a baby, you can be charged with uh, murder or manslaughter depending upon the state. And yet if that same woman was going to an abortion clinic before she got in the accident, she could do the same thing and there's no problem. And so we're, we're a little wacky in the way we think about laws. There's the argument of, well, I can do whatever I want to with my body. Well, no, you can't. There's lots of laws that say you can't do whatever you want to with your body. But the law, and so what we, we begin to think, well, so what's going on? Why, why is abortion still legal? Um, well, abortion is, is still legal because we ultimately, and I mean a collective we, we like it that way. We are part of a culture where comfort and convenience trump almost everything else. we are, in one sense, part of that problem. Um, the idea of considering somebody else or something else more important than myself, as Paul talks about in Philippians, um, sort of gets pushed to the back seat for comfort and, and convenience. Think about why cultures end up the way they do. It's because of comfort and convenience. Um, Ezekiel, when he is talking to the nation of Israel about why Sodom ended up the way Sodom ended up, and, if, and some people read that as a, a metaphor for another place, actually, but the point is, is the same. He says in Ezekiel 16, verse 48, As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister, and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. He's um, castigating the nation for behaving more wickedly than Sodom. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. So he's going to name what their real guilt actually was. She and her daughters had arrogance and abundant food and careless ease and she did not help the poor and needy. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Their comfort and convenience and abundance led to pride, which led to, I can really do whatever I want to, and if it really is all about me, if it really is all about my comfort and convenience, then I can satisfy my needs in any way that I really see fit to do so. And our culture does the same thing. We end up where we end up 
because we value comfort and convenience more than we value loving our neighbor, more than we value what, what God says. And we're a part of, of that culture. The second thing is, is when, we, when we get used to that comfort and convenience, it becomes a part of what we do, a part of who we are, a part of how we live, then it changes from kind of a privilege, something that we get to enjoy as Americans, to a right. We begin to demand it. See, abortion is still legal in this country because our comfort and our convenience has become a right. We, we deserve that. I, I deserve to not be burdened by something else. I, des, I deserve to be free from the shackles and chains of an unwanted child. And that's just the reality of, of where we live. And again, I would say that we, as broadly as evangelicals, are part of that problem because we have either a little bit or a lot bought into the idea that it's okay um, and that we sort of kind of demand our rights to be comfortable and convenient. And it's been... Technology helps that. It's a slow drift from we did everything for ourselves at one point in time to now we have machines and things that do everything for us. And it's just part of the culture that we've bought into. But the real question this morning is not all, all of that. We could argue about that all you want to. The question is, it's a reality. Every year about a, a million babies are aborted in this country, and that's just in the United States. The question is, what do we do about it? What, what do we, in this room, as individuals and corporately, what do we do about that? Well, the first thing is that we pray. Um, I would encourage you and challenge you if, if the abortion issue is not part of your regular uh, life of prayer that you would make it that way. Specifically, some things that we can pray for. Number one, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That touches so many categories, but it touches this one as well, that, that um, we as individuals and as a culture as a, a town, as a county, as a state, as a nation, would wake up to the fact that God's will trumps our will. So that we would simply pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second, that there would be a, a change of heart, because this ultimately is not a legal issue, it's a heart issue. Um, you can make things legal all you want to, and that doesn't make them right, but you can also make things illegal... And that won't keep people from either breaking the law or still not having a change of heart. And the issue is, is that because God created man in His image, He wants us to value that image in all its forms. Not just the unborn, but in um, every single facet that you can think of, do we have compassion for humankind? That's what we talked about. Are we willing to cross boundaries? Are we willing to cross borders to make disciples? And that means socioeconomic boundaries and borders and ethnic boundaries and borders, people that make us feel uncomfortable. This issue requires that the church cross those boundaries and borders in our lives so that hearts can be changed. Because ultimately it is a, a heart problem. And Jesus is the only answer to that problem. Well, I would love for there to be a change in legislation. Legislation will never change the heart. 
Only Christ does that. Third, we need to pray that, that God's people would rise up and respond. That He would raise up workers for the harvest. It's plentiful. Will we respond to that? Individually, corporately, and as a church, as a nation, will we respond to the need that exists? Because the need is not just, and we'll get to that more in a moment, the need is not just stopping abortions. The need is there are lots of people who feel like they don't have any other option. And will the church enter into that need? And finally, we need to pray for courage and wisdom of how we need to respond in a bigger way besides just at home in prayer. Will you pray and ask God to give you the courage and the wisdom, Lord, what is my role in this issue, which is a huge issue? Where do you want me to to end up, to land? So first, we pray. Second, we need to be willing to take care of those people who don't feel like they have an option. The church has got to get involved in people's lives, in women's lives who feel like, I don't have an option. See, because the culture says that it's okay. The culture says it's okay if you have an abortion. And even though you may know deep in your heart it's wrong, how many of you ever done something that you knew was wrong? Right? How many of you have ever done something you knew was wrong because of pressure from somebody else? All right, so we, we need to kind of... I've heard, I don't know that any of you are guilty of this, but some Christians need to kind of get off of our high horse and say, well, they know that that's murder. Well, you've done things that you know are wrong. I can name five believers that I've talked to over the last five years who I know cheat on their taxes and they know it's wrong but they get some income from cash and they don't report it and yet we how how could someone go get an abortion well it's easy right I'm scared to death I don't know how I would take care of this baby and my culture says it's okay so why would I not do that right so we, we need to remove if you're guilty of that kind of that judgmental attitude, we've got to remove that from our minds because we're guilty of that as well. There's a lot of people that that believe it's better to get rid of that baby than to bring it into a rough situation. To bring it into something that's going to be horrible, malnourished, abuse, whatever it is, we feel like that's just a better option. And so, are, again, are we willing to enter into those situations? Are we willing to, to walk in somebody else's shoes, to come alongside somebody who's thinking about it or who's already done it and offer compassion instead of judgment, offer forgiveness, and ultimately offer help? Are we willing to... Bear that burden. Some of us have done that in, in big ways and small ways already. There are some of you who uh, volunteer at the Pregnancy and Parenting Center. There are several of you who um, fill jars up with money. There's probably several just looking at the number of quarters. And there's probably several hundred dollars up there. Because I've also seen bills and checks in some of those. And that's a wonderful thing. 
but how can we enter into the lives of people who feel like they have no other option? And the church has got to do something. I really feel strongly that at some point in time between the science and the law and just our conscience that, that legally things have already begun to change but will continue to change more. And what is the church going to do if all of a sudden we find um, the population, especially in some very needy places, increased by a million more people a year? Is the church prepared to take that burden? Because, see, sometimes evangelical Christianity complains about the size and the role of our government. We don't like the government's hands involved in so many things. We're, we sort of shake our head about the idea of that we're easing more and more towards socialism, the government's taking care of all these problems. Well, is the church willing to take care of those problems? Is the church willing to move into those situations with time and money and effort so that we put the government out of business, that we take care of those issues? Are we willing to bear the burden? Ultimately, it comes down to what we talked about last week. Are we willing to make disciples? Are we willing to get involved in people's lives, that we change their hearts so that their behavior changes, their attitude changes, their worldview changes? But I would, I would rather abortion be legal and nobody want one because their hearts were changed than abortion be illegal and people still find a way around that and despise the child they brought into this world because they had to. So we need to pray. We need to take care of those who are most vulnerable because those are the people that are, that are doing that. And then third, we need to be prepared for backlash, prepared for the fact that our culture will not appreciate the fact that we want to move in and change, especially if legislation happens, there will be a backlash. Why? Because you're messing with people's comfort and convenience and you're messing with people's money. Read in Acts 19, Paul goes into Ephesus. There's a, a great revival and there's some people that get very upset, but because of that revival, their line of work, making idols, is in danger of going kaput. They're fixing to lose their job. And they don't like that. And so they stir up a crowd. And they cause a riot. That's what happens. And that I really don't think that was a spiritual issue other than Satan desires to move people. That was a financial issue. They were ticked at Paul and his comrades not because of anything religious they were doing, but because they were messing with their pocketbooks. And when you start messing with people's comfort and convenience and their money, they will respond and they will react. And so are you prepared for a backlash? One of the ways that we do that is that we begin walking faithfully in the small things in life. If we are not in the habit of being faithful in the small things, when the big things come about in persecution or slander or legislation, then we won't respond appropriately as believers, individually or corporately. And so part of that preparation for a culture reacting against truth is are you walking faithfully in the small things in everyday life? Places that nobody sees. 
again, for example, taking cash and not reporting it on your taxes. Little things like that. How we respond to our neighbor who's unkind to us, or who offends us, or who hurts us. Do we respond in love and forgiveness? Um, do we show people around us Christ? And so we're going to spend a, a few minutes this morning just in silent prayer. And one of the things that I want you to think about, one of the things I want you to, as we pray, is just to listen and to ask God. I think there's some things Phil's going to leave up on the, on the screen. Um, as we pray, again, those things we mentioned a moment ago, that God's will would be done on earth that is in heaven. And then specifically, God, what would you have me to do? We pray that hearts would be changed, and, and maybe for some of us, that's our own heart that needs to be changed. That He would give us a, a compassion for the people that... And to be quite honest, I just don't know how to relate to someone like that. Someone in a situation that uh, is just way different than me, whether that's socially or ethnically or anything else. God, would you change my heart? Would you give me compassion for people who need you? That we would pray that God would wake up, wake, raise up workers for the harvest. And maybe that's us. Maybe we need to be raised up. And finally, for the courage and the wisdom to respond um, in whatever that looks like. That doesn't mean that all of us are going to do the exact same thing. But I believe we all have a role to play in caring for those that are vulnerable. For some of us, it may be a both and. For some of us, it may be neither or. It may be financial. It may be time. It may be building relationships. And so as we spend a few moments in just silent prayer, I'd like for you to, to request these things, but also begin the process of listening. But what is my role? Part of that role is creativity. God, show me what I can do that's different. Um, on March, I forget the date. What's the date, dear? March 4th. March 4th. Um, Focus on the Family, I think is who did this, has done a documentary about uh, a guy in South Korea um, who saw the need of many, many, many unwanted children and through creativity um, and self-sacrifice figured out a way to, to begin to help that process of people instead of just uh, abandoning live babies to die to take care of them. Um, the, just the orphan issue in South Korea it's a movie called The Dropbox, which will be playing in Chattanooga on March 4th. It's a Wednesday night. Uh, it starts at 7 o'clock. There are some of us who are going to go to that. If you are interested, uh, let me know if you're going to wait a carpool uh, to go over. But not that we have to replicate that here, but just begin to get the wheels turning. Is there something that we can do as a congregation or as individuals um, that would make a difference where we are? So put that on your calendar if you're interested, March 4th. Again, that's in Cleveland. Um, but let's take a moment, a few moments, um, and just pray silently and ask God to begin to, to move in your heart. Lord, what would you have me do uh, in response to this issue that plagues not only this country but the world? Let's pray together. Praise you for your faithfulness.
and for your compassion for your people. And when I look at, at your long-suffering and the way that you care for others, it gives me hope because your word says that you are conforming us into your image. And I'm hopeful and, uh, and encouraged that you will take us and make us like you and that we will be faithful and that we will be compassionate. And this, uh, this town and this county and this, this region will look different um, in a few years because of your faithfulness, because of your compassion, because of your kindness, and because you continue to pursue your people. You continue to pursue us individually and collectively. God, I thank you for the generosity of, of the people in this body, and I pray that you would use these funds that have been collected for the Parenting and Pregnancy Center um, to change lives. I pray that it would not just be a, a deposit, but it would be um, money that you would use uh, to impact the lives of people for uh, your glory. And then, God, I pray that you would help us to continue to be generous um, with our compassion, um, with what you have given us our talents and our time and our energy and our money. That people's lives would be changed, not just in relation to this issue, but um, that they would come to know you and delight in your presence. That their relationships would change, their, their environments would change, their families would change, their workplaces would change. God, I ask that you would make us faithful in this process and that we would be long-suffering and that we would be gracious and compassionate. And we ask these things for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.